Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 19 through 30. I know it's hard for you to remember because it's been a while since we've been together in this type of forum, in this type of setting for us to study together. But we've been working through the book of Philippians. We've been talking about this church that really, well, they'd experienced the joy of salvation, but they had had a lot of difficulties come toward them. And, and really, Paul is writing to them. This is a church that Paul loved, and he loved them especially because of what he had seen God do there, how they had really ministered to him. He, had, he was so excited about God's effort on their behalf. Now, when we look at this passage tonight, we particularly see how he is thankful for faithful friends who serve with him, who serve with Paul in their ministry to the churches. I want you to see this beginning in verse 19. Paul writes and he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Let's stop there for a moment. You know, when we think of kingdom movements, when we think specifically of the New Testament and how the mission of God spread, most all of us would think of somebody like Paul. And certainly we should. Paul was a great missionary. Outside of the Lord Jesus, I think Paul was, one, was the greatest missionary to be able to serve in such a way. He trekked many, many miles. He went over all kinds of obstacles in order to get the gospel of Christ out. So we naturally think of people like Paul. But I want to remind you tonight as we look at this, as we think about his writing, we think about this Philippian church, Paul was not alone in his effort. You know, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Everybody has somebody else that they can look to, that they can minister with, that they can see the gospel of Christ go forth with. What I want to call them, really, just basically faithful friends. People who are there with you, no matter what, to serve for the ministry, to serve for the kingdom. And that's really what we see here. Paul just reminds us. I mean, he's writing to the Philippian believers. And again, he's a great individual. He, 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 is, he is an individual, just as we've seen, that even as though he is in captivity, he is sharing the gospel. So wonderful man, Paul is. But Paul has a set of friends. People who are there for him and people who are also there for the church. Here, in the passage we read, he specifically focused upon Timothy. Now, many of us, again, have read through New Testament, the New Testament. We've seen different parts of how God used different people. Timothy is one of those guys that probably comes to mind as a companion, an associate, as a faithful friend of Paul. We've probably seen that elsewhere. But tonight, as we look in this passage, we see how Timothy is there again. Now, where did Timothy come from? He had come from Lystra. According to the book of Acts, as Paul was going about his missionary journey, he came into this area, and there was Timothy. 
whose mother was of Jewish descent, his father was of Greek descent, Timothy, who God was already using among the brethren there, the Scripture says. And Paul picks this young man up, and I don't know if he could ever imagine what a blessing this young man's going to be, how he's going to be able to invest in this young man's life. I don't think he could ever imagine that. But what you see happening is a relationship that begins and a relationship that is nurtured, a relationship that grows very, very deep. And what Paul says to the Philippians is this. He says, I want to come to you, and I'm planning on doing that. Remember, he's in captivity there in Rome. House rest, if you want to call it that. And he says, but I'm going to send Timothy. And this is, this is the Timothy that you've known. This is the Timothy that you have experienced in character and in truth. And notice what it says about this Timothy. It says that this is one who is like-minded. He had said earlier, no one is like-minded. But again, he's drawing the contrast between other people and Timothy. So you could virtually say Timothy is like-minded. Like-minded. Literally, it means like-souled. It's like they shared the same soul. They shared the same purpose. You ever had anybody like that in your life? Certainly family members, maybe. But I'm talking about outside of your own immediate family, outside your spouse, outside your friend, uh, family members, your, your kids, and your parents. Anybody that you could just say, hey, they're like-souled. They share the same kind of soul. They share the same kind of purpose. Paul said of Timothy, he's like sold. He said, you know what? He's unselfish. He said, there's so many that look to their own self. He said, but Timothy's different. He is not selfish. Now, if you go back and read earlier in this chapter, what did Paul encourage the Philippian believers to do? He encouraged them to look to others' interests, not their own, right? He was saying to them, follow the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is that he looked to the interest of other people. And now what he's saying is, is that Timothy is an example of that. Timothy is one of those people that just cared about others. It wasn't just about his own preferences. It wasn't about his own desires. He was caring about other people. Notice what else it says about him. That he's a proven character. In other words, you know his testimony. You know his character. You know his integrity. You know his ethics. And you know who he is when he stands before you. He genuinely is concerned about you as a church. Now that should be encouraging to the Philippians. I mean that somebody that is unselfish that is somebody that's very closely aligned with Paul and his desire and his heart, somebody that is authentic in their relationship, sincere of character, this individual is coming to see them. And this is the one who Paul says, he's my son in the faith. You know, the Scripture says in the book of Acts that when Timothy was there at Lystra and he was doing ministry among the brethren that he stood out, that they all had good words about him. So even before Paul met him, it was as though Christ was doing a work in his life and he was building his character. But then afterwards, through the relationship with Paul, he continued 
to see that testimony expounded and expanded in different ways. He was a faithful friend. Later on, as you know, if you read First and Second Timothy, we're, we're told that Paul pours into him in a pastoral type of way, particularly in the second letter that he writes to Timothy. Paul encourages him to come in his last days, right? In his last days, when he's about to die, he calls for Timothy, faithful friend. I say again, everybody needs that kind of friend. At least one, right? At least one. But certainly, if you could get a whole group of those individuals around you, how blessed you are and how blessed I am to be able to know that we could have people that look to others' interests, that are proven character, they're just people that are like-souled. Those kind of individuals. Well, I was, of course, thinking through, and I'm always one, just as I shared this morning, that when I read the Scripture, I try to think to myself, how is this impacting me? And how does this speak to me in particular? Now, I know that seems kind of selfish, I guess, but I think if it speaks to me this way, a lot of times it can speak to other people this way. I think through all of the ministry that God has given me, all the ministry that God has allowed me to experience, and uh, I've been at different churches now, several different churches. Uh, In a sense, I guess I'm a mover. I always didn't feel like I am, but and Jerry Vines once said that he was a mover, until he got to where he was going, and then he stayed. So I think I've got to where I'm going now. But I think back, I mean, even when I was younger, I was, you know, in North Mississippi, and I was there at Blue Springs Baptist, and then I went to Canaan Baptist, and then down to Pine Grove, and at First Zachary, now here. You know, listen, and I always reflect back, and, and we look at the people that we've had the opportunity to be a part of their lives and a part of their families. How blessed we have been. How blessed we have been. You know, she and I have talked before about other ministers who've shared with us different stories that they've had and how the church, different things that they had to go through and all. God has been so good to me and Leslie to um, be able to put us in positions and places where we just, we had just good churches. Just good folks. And yes, some faithful friends, some people like Timothy that you could count on. I mean, Paul's in captivity. He's thinking about the people that he can carry on the ministry he's going to send to the Philippians. And first he thinks to Timothy. We're going to look at Epaphroditus in a moment, but first he thinks of Timothy, that they can carry on. How wonderful it is to know that you can have people that you love and that you care for, they care for you and they care for the church, and you can... See, ministry expanded because of all of us working together for the kingdom. I say again, if Paul knew he couldn't do it alone, we ought to know we can't do it alone. And we need faithful friends who will help us minister in the way we should. And again, I could go through. There are so many people that I could list. And you know what? When I got to thinking about it, there's so many people that you probably could list. People who are here in this church, people who are at other churches, people that you've served with, that you've worked with, that you literally felt that your soul and their soul rubbed together, that you had similar purposes 
that you had similar desires for the Lord. Paul said, I got Timothy here. He's a son. I'm going to send him to you when I can. Maybe a little while, but I'm going to send him. Well, Paul had Timothy, but he also had this guy named Epaphroditus. Look in verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to me or to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So just get this. He said, Epaphroditus, who came to me, he was sent by you. I believe Epaphroditus was a Philippian. He had come to minister and to help. Paul, during his time of house arrest, he was, in a sense, he was an emissary of the Philippian church, bringing a gift, bringing his presence, encouraging, blessing. Paul says, now I'm turning him back to you. I want him to come back to you now. Timothy can't, but I'm going to send Epaphroditus now so that he can minister to you. He said, I know he's been longing for you all. I know you've been longing for him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of connection? When you got a church family and and that one is along uh, away from you, and you long to have them back, and they long to be a part of the family again. And he said, "I know that's the connection you have. I know the love that you have for one another. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death." But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He said he was sick. Now, we don't know exactly what was happening in Paphroditus' life, but we know as he was going, perhaps as he was going around, perhaps it was there that he grew sick almost unto death. And that the church, as they heard about this, they were, they were grieving, they were weeping. It says that, God had mercy on him. Let me just say this. Kind of not in the script, but I want to say it. When we pray for those who are sick, just as we have tonight, we pray with the confidence that God hears us and that, yes, God in his own way, in his own will, can demonstrate and will demonstrate mercy upon people's hearts and lives. And that's what we ought to come to God with, that type of confidence. When I pray, I pray knowing that God can demonstrate his mercy. And that's what you see here. God had mercy. God brought healing. Epaphroditus was sick, but God brought healing to him. He said, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I looked at the original language there. It's kind of the idea that it's like grief upon grief upon grief, upon grief, like it just continues. He said, God didn't want me to experience just the continued grief because he knew I would have it if something happened to Epaphroditus. So God was good to him, to me, to you all, to everybody, so that he would remove that sense of grief. I guess maybe it's just where we are right now. I don't know, and that's the reason this passage spoke to me. But it just seems like, uh, staff and I, others have talked about it, it just seems like since the first of the year, it seems like we've had grief upon grief upon grief upon grief within our church. A lot of times physical issues that we've seen 
people dealing with different things. Thanks be to Him that even when we go through these times of weeping and, and grief, thanks be to Him that He comes in His presence to comfort us and encourage us and bless us. And as said a moment ago, have mercy upon us. And you know, I hope that you will pray with me. God, would you take our grief away? Would you give us a reprieve? Would you bless our families? Would you show healing? Because you can do it, just as I said a moment ago. He can do it. Don't doubt that. Ask him to take away our grief upon grief. I'm kind of ready to start building a wall of joy again, right? I kind of like the joy upon joy. The joy upon joy. We pray to that end. Paphroditus had recovered. He had come to the church at Philippi. He had brought them, I think, this letter. And he had communicated the encouraging words of Paul. This is what Paul said. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly, and when you see him again, you may rejoice. <laughs> and I may be less sorrowful. In other words, when you see him restored, just as I said about the joy, you can rejoice because he stands right there in your midst. You can have joy once again. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. I know Paul wrote that, but I'm not sure they had to have that instruction in order to rejoice. Now, I don't know. Again, a lot of times, my context is the local Baptist church of the South. And I admit to you, that's a pretty limited scope, right? I don't know all the way people respond in other settings or whatever else, but I can only see this just a little bit. I'm thinking to myself, if this guy, Epaphroditus, had walked in here at Temple Baptist Church, even while I was preaching, when he walked in that back door, I have a feeling there would be some smiles on the face. Huh? I have a feeling that you wouldn't even listen to me anymore. I have a feeling you'd want to get up and hug his neck. Say, Epaphroditus, it is good to see you, friend. It is great to see you. I have a feeling you would do that. I kind of know who you are. I kind of, and again, most of our churches probably inside there, that's my frame of reference. They would probably respond that way. I don't think I'd have to say, hey, everybody, we need to rejoice right now. I think it'd just be natural. Because when you see that faithful friend, this is the one that's coming back to them, that's recovered from a near-death experience. And he's representing Paul. He's a faithful friend to Paul, but he's a faithful friend to that church and so many others. And it says that this one, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This is not a negative comment toward the Philippians whatsoever. All Paul meant was when you couldn't come as a collective group, as a congregation, you sent him. To minister unto my needs. Where you couldn't be there to do it. He did. And he was willing to go. He was willing. Literally is what this passage says. He is willing to risk his life. He is willing to expose it. 
to all the dangers that come with it. That's literally what it means. That he was willing to risk it all to come for the behalf, on behalf of the gospel and to encourage and to bless me. What kind of friend is that? Scripture tells us that there is no greater friend than one who is willing to lay his life down for us. This moral day where we are very thankful for those who did lay their lives down for us so that we have freedom. We also stop and recognize that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us because he loved us. He risked everything. And it is a challenge that we would continue to risk and expose. 1 John 3.16 Since God so loved the world, as some people have termed that, that we ought to lay our lives down for one another. Epaphroditus was a prime example of being willing to lay his life down for the brethren. Again, you and I need friends like that. Friends who would be willing to lay their lives down for us if it were needed. People would be really willing to risk it all for the gospel, for who we are. Paul mentions these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And basically he just says, man, they're faithful friends. Even in captivity, he knew that friendship. I encourage you. Let me just say this as we close. One, develop those faithful friends. Develop them. You don't have a friend. Leslie, what's that verse we put in the we put on the refrigerator? In order to have a friend, you must demonstrate yourself friendly. Paraphrase of what the writer of Proverbs says. In other words, you say, I ain't got any friends. And I know some people around that kind of have that attitude. I ain't got a friend. You know what? The best way to get a friend is to be a friend. Be friendly. Be a faithful friend to somebody else. Demonstrate your character. Develop that friendship. Be a friend to others in all that you do. Be faithful in who you are and in your relationships. Be genuine. Love people and do what God has called you to do. And I promise you, as you work with faithful friends, the kingdom of God can be expanded. I say again, if Paul needed friends, showed, so do we. If Paul couldn't have taken the kingdom by himself, neither can we. We need faithful friends to spread the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and we thank you. God, I am thankful for people that I look out, that I see, that I count as faithful friends, even here in this place. I thank you for individuals who have demonstrated their character, their unselfishness. Father, for people who have been willing to risk themselves for the sake of relationships, the sake of the gospel itself. God, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray every day that you would bring us closer together as a people, as a family here. I pray every day that we would be united in purpose and in love. May we be like souls.
as we come together. God will give you all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight?